1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, last night in New Hampshire went about as expected. In fact, again, for those of you who are inclined to dismiss polling out of hand, can't believe anything you hear from pollsters basically the uh 13 point spread that trump won new hampshire with was uh within uh the well within the margin of error of the real clear politics polling average yep. so it was as anticipated the only thing that may have been a little unanticipated was uh nikki haley uh, declaring victory
2: uh, b- <laughs> well, she's not last up. night. Yeah. Donald Trump on his victory tonight, he earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class, they're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. It's not a <laughs> Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina.
0: Yeah. Right. Where I'm down 30 points.
3: (laughs) But I was once governor, and they love me, and that's my home state. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Yeah, it was anything but a concession speech. I mean, it was a victory speech in in her mind. She's just not going to give up, and... She thought, but what, maybe she did well. with She did what the polls said she was going to do. She didn't beat Trump, but she's not going to give up because there's more states out there, Dan. Did you know that?
0: Uh, Trump responded to her uh, attempting to recast what happened last night as uh, more uh, indication of momentum she's enjoying. Here was Trump uh, opening up his remarks.
4: Today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely when it was at seven. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing... uh, like a speech, like she won. She didn't win, she lost. And you know, last last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around, I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win, and I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden, almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. She had a very bad night.
0: There's something uh, to what he said that I just want to emphasize because the handle is that Haley is a better matchup in the general election because she defeats Biden by a wider margin. Yeah, there was a Wall Street Journal poll that said that. But if you look at the real clear politics averages in the uh, Trump and DeSantis and Haley versus Biden, it's actually Trump who has the best margin, and it's a slight one. Nobody's saying that anybody's going to circle the—they're going to lap the field at this point. They're going to lap Biden, even if he's standing still. Trump is plus three points. Haley's plus a point. DeSantis was tied. If you look at the real clear pol- uh, politics, polling averages of those matchups. So I, I, I know this is a fashionable opinion to have that Nikki Haley, because of that splash of that one Wall Street Journal poll, is the is, you know, will will definitely defeat Biden and by a wide margin, whereas Trump, we're not sure if he can win. Well, that's not what the data says. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro text line.
3: One thing about last night, though, Trump, he would not stop bashing Nikki Haley. I mean, bash Biden. I mean, it got to the point where I almost turned off the TV.
4: I find in life you can't let people get away with bullying okay? You can't. You just can't do that. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy— up. I said, what's she doing? We won. No, he he, hit
3: this, he said she, it over and over and over and over again.
0: Uh, yeah, at this point, I mean, after last night, I mean, if you want to um, pile on a bit, uh, it's understandable, if not advisable. But after last night, the posture Trump should take is to generally ignore Nikki Haley. Right. Because this is, this is not a race. It really never was much of a race. And now that people are voting, oh, that's just what the polls say. Uh, Not a a ballot has been cast. Okay, well, now some ballots have been cast and some more are going to be cast in the next uh, six weeks. And the numbers suggest that they're going to even make this more obvious than Iowa and New Hampshire have made this. So if I'm Trump. You know, you're right. Focus on enjoy the number of people coming over to back Trump now, including people that are not necessarily huge Trump fans. They didn't get along with great. For example, John Cornyn, the senator in Texas, um, he's a very established Republican, Republican senator said, I've seen enough. It's time to rally around Trump. There's going to be a lot more of that happening. Enjoy the rallying around uh, foment, more consolidation of support, focus on Biden and what they're doing address some of these issues, think strategically about the sequencing of the kind of campaign that you want to run over the next several months into the conventions. And then obviously down the stretch, assemble the necessary staff, you know, take this opportunity to um, focus on you and what you're doing and what you're organizing and don't get baited by somebody who is on um, essentially a, uh, a, a bit of a vision quest right now leave her to her own devices in yeah. south carolina and however long she wants to go on with this however long the uh, corporatist money will float her
3: i mean she got under his skin yesterday she was living rent free in his head
0: well, okay. at that let's rally not, i thought let's well, not exaggerate no i, I watched
3: mean, the whole thing from the beginning to the end and i thought well, uh, you can watch it from Biden. the beginning
0: to the end and it's Get the, it off the, of still her, an exaggeration alone.
3: well i, I the, what, what does trump do what is Trump what, do? Yeah, that's what his, his shtick is. I understand that. But yes. he beat her. He wanted to talk about her dress. And, you know, just I'm as a woman, when I saw it, I kept, he kept harping on it. And I thought, just leave it alone. You, you beat her soundly. Talk about Biden and how he has accomplished nothing. And remind the American people what life was like when you were in charge. You
0: it's know, the, I, there's a couple of things, too. I, I would say, I mean, first of all, the, the Haley thing. I, I, I mean, does anybody believe this is going anywhere? You look at uh, even CNN had this you look at um, the composition of the voters for Trump versus for Haley 70% of Haley voters last night in New Hampshire were undeclared as opposed to 70% of Trump voters who were declared Republicans I mean you had interview after interview on CNN and MSNBC like this Here's CNN Nikki Haley
5: and why did you vote for Nikki Haley?
0: Uh, It's a vote against Trump.
6: Uh, I think it would be better to have her against Biden in the uh, elections then it would be Trump in her.
5: Do you consider yourself generally independent, Republican or Democrat? Uh, Democrat. So when you undeclared, you voted for Nikki Haley. If it was Nikki Haley against Joe Biden in a general
3: election, who are you voting for?
0: Joe oh. Biden. Right. Right. So and I that's mean, how she th- got
3: a lot of votes in Iowa, too, from independents.
0: It was Democrats and never Trumpers. It was Democrats and Bill Kristol and David French. I mean, that, that's the profile of the Nikki Haley voter for the most part last night in New Hampshire. And I'm, I'm sorry, that doesn't come within a stone's throw in states like South Carolina and Florida and so on and so forth.
3: 312-642-5600. Grab a line.
0: Uh, Mark, Southside. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Last night, Haley's speech
7: was so contradicting. You're, you're playing clips right now. The majority of people that voted for her are going to vote Democratic in the general election. With that being said, she's emphasizing last night that Donald Trump is the only Republican the Democrats can can beat. With that being said, then, the same people that voted for her last night that are going to vote Democratic, why wouldn't they help Trump to get him across the finish line if he's the only one that um, the Democrats can beat? It makes no sense. It's contradicting.
0: Yeah, thanks for the call, Mark. One thing I would say about Trump, I mean, you don't um, you know, uh, prematurely celebrate the victory in November. There are a lot of complications along the way, including how people would receive Trump being convicted in any of the trials that may or may not happen before the election, which is why it's so important that they get pushed off. For example, there was polling you may have saw last night if you were watching the coverage that suggested that among Republican caucus goers and a primary voter in in Iowa, primary voters in New Hampshire, you know, a third in Iowa said uh, a criminal conviction would uh, disqualify him from being president. It was 50-50 in New Hampshire. Now, for example, in Iowa, a third of self-identified Republicans saying that that could be a problem. I mean, you have to look at the way the question is asked, you know. People are inclined to a criminal conviction that would disqualify. Maybe people don't have an appreciation for what he could be convicted of and all the details that would come out in these trials. There's, there's all sorts of variables to that question. So I'm not taking those numbers as fatal in any way. But I am saying that that development, a conviction in one of these trials that, of course, are in jurisdictions pulling jury pools together that are going to be largely antagonistic to Trump. Um, that that is, a, that is a potential complication down the road, and it shouldn't be ignored. This is why I say now is the time to take advantage of really thinking through legal strategy and political legal strategy uh, as those trials wind their way through the courts or to potentially a jury over the next several months.
1: It's like a hot steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer. news insight into what it means and the sharpest opinion there's only one station in chicago where you can turn and it's this one we're am 560 the answer
0: top of the morning dan and amy you're talking about last night's uh, trump victory in new hampshire and what it uh, means for the rest of the presidential primary campaign to the extent there is one which there basically isn't and uh that's despite the fact that Nikki Haley says she's going to press on to South Carolina and uh, there are dozens more states out there. Yeah, at yes, least we've only are. had two elections. There's at least a couple of dozen. Uh-huh. 312-642-5600, pro answer line, three six D A turnkey da pro text line. I- I'm still struck by those uh, keen observers in the D.C. press corps that uh, don't appreciate. The dynamic in the Republican presidential primary. I mean, I I can understand a desire to see someone other than Trump. But I can't understand this Wall Street Journal editorial about what happened last night. And this Wall Street Journal editorial board is, you know, generally um, considerably more sane than just about any other editorial board of a major daily in the country. Definitely leans right. He, uh, they, they write, I shouldn't say he, they, the editorial board, write about uh, the criticisms that Trump made of Haley yet, yet after last night going up on stage and seeming to sort of concede defeat while declaring victory and moving on. And we've got the momentum and and then having, you know, he criticizing her, her dress and surrogates on cable TV, torturing her and so on and so forth. What's your journal right They, meaning Trump world, must be worried that she is telling the truth about Mr. Trump's political vulnerabilities. Have you not seen Trump's act before? You thought the personal slights in the direction of Nikki Haley is a sign of concern? (laughs) They go on to say things that are even more incredible. Like, you know, this has just become a one-on-one race, and... um, Uh, She won 62 percent of voters in the last few days as the field as the field consolidated. She won 60 percent of independence. And and the Wall Street Journal argues, well, who do you think is going to decide the election in November? Very uh, myopic understanding of the electorate and motivations. Uh, And then they go on Haley. To make it a race as if this is possible, Haley will have to toughen and expand her message, make a harder case against Trump, uh, focus her vision on what she would uh, – present a more focused vision on what she would do as president when she talks about generational change. What exactly does that mean? Maybe she needs to pick up an issue like school choice and run with it. I mean, <laughs> you think that's going to turn the tide in this race? Nikki Haley starts coming out and talking about school choice and parents' rights. Yeah, it's a little too late.
3: 312-642-5600. Turnkey.pro. Answer line Our text lines up and running. 646-36 type in DA. Then a quick comment.
0: It's not only late. It just funnily misunderstands what's happening. The, the, the Trump phenomenon is a movement. Nikki Haley... Is an off-the-shelf GOP establishment candidate. I mean, she's Jeb Bush in a dress, but less conservative reform. So, it, it, it's eight years, and the Wall Street Journal editorial board still doesn't get it. I, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that. I mean, that's just this is where like your hope is blinding you to the reality. Right. Uh, that's the only thing I can I can. Uh, only way I can explain this, and I think that's the case with a lot of uh, Wall Street Journal readers who are in the donor class too.
3: Yeah, they're they're in Trump denial. They they just they have the Drange syndrome, and then they're in denial like, no, that's not going to happen again. And oh no, it, it's happening. Wake up, it's here.
0: Yeah, you know, here's an idea for those who are despondent over the, the Trump Biden rematch on the Republican side. Or on the side that doesn't want to see a second Biden term. Here's an idea.
3: What?
0: How about lean into Trump? How about lean into him? We're going to have the same conversation a little bit later on the show when we talk about uh, Amy's Hawkeye buddy, Carrie Lake. Here's an idea. How about lean into candidates that are surfing on this popular revolt that is bubbling below the surface? How about helping them to stoke that revolt? Rather than trying to work with the uh, the combine swamp set in repressing the revolt.
3: Well, do it. Congressman Dean Phillips, I mean, he's Republic, uh, Scott, Sorry, a Democrat from Minnesota, ran against Biden yesterday in New Hampshire. When you think about it, Biden had more competition with Mary Williams and Dean Phillips, Williamson, Williamson than, um, than Trump did, but... He leaned into it, you know, he was on CNN and he went to a Trump rally to try and figure out who the Trumpians are
9: rally a couple nights ago, never been to one. Uh, I had an event across the street. I saw the line of people waiting in the cold for hours and I thought, what the heck, you know, I'm going to be a leader who actually invites people, doesn't condemn them, met probably 50 Trump people waiting in line. Every single one of them, thoughtful, hospitable, friendly, all of them so frustrated that they feel nobody's listening to them but Donald Trump, a diverse crowd, people who had never been to a Trump event before. My party is completely delusional right now.
3: And last night, one in five Democrats voted for Dean Phillips. I mean, Biden won by 50 50 percent to his 20 percent, but that's more than the polls suggested.
0: I'm not surprised Dean Phillips was welcomed uh, at a Trump rally, uh, more so than maybe in his own party, you know, because he's Jewish. Kevin in Austin, Texas.
1: Uh, Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Trump said one thing when he uh, did his uh, congratulations speech, or whatever you want to call it. uh, He talked about he has to do what's good for the GOP or good for the party. Resources that are going to be sent to support Nikki Haley could be used in other ways to develop, get out the vote operations uh, for November and actually build the party up. So lower Uh, down-ticket races can win. And I think that's where those resources should be sent. It's a vanity project right now for anybody who wants to throw money to Nikki Haley and support her. It's a futile thing. It's like standing at Lake Michigan when an eight-foot wave is coming towards you and thinking you're
10: going to, like, stop it from coming at you.
0: Turn around. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Appreciate it. Joe in Naperville.
10: Yeah, although I don't agree with this, I think the two things people – should understand why she's still in it, Haley, is number one, when you look at Iowa and New Hampshire, last year, last time Bernie Sanders won those, and he lost the primary. Also, I think that Haley's hanging on to a dream. I think Haley's hanging on to a dream that the courts are going to take Trump out. So if she stays in it, and she's number two, especially before the convention, she's in a good position to get the nomination. I, again, I don't agree with it, but I, I think that's the two plausible explanations on why she's still in it.
0: Thanks for the call, Joe. Well, here's the problem. I mean, if that's her strategy, that uh, Hail Mary strategy, if the the courts, the Supreme Court's decide that all these states can remove Trump from the ballot, many won't do it anyway. Many have already decided they're not going to do it. I mean, I suppose they could revisit it. But she's going to run out of money well before that transpires. So it's just not realistic. Um, you you can't um, sort of lose your way to the presidency. And, uh, you know, if something were to if, if Trump is uh, cemented in as the nominee and something were to happen, just like we've talked about with Biden, well, I mean, then it's a, a party pick. Yeah. And, uh, and so she would have as much chance now being out of the race as she would then being in the race. Titularly in the race,
3: right? But I can't. Does get back in because they suspended their campaign? So if something were to happen to Trump, they could all get back in, right? That's
0: that's true. That's, that's true. Why they don't fall out. But I mean, but but quit. but if something were to happen to Trump and he's the nominee, well, I guess if it happens between now and when you've officially amassed enough of the delegates to be, uh, to, to, to cement the nomination, yes, right. That then you, I guess, you would have some sort of restart. But I mean, the, you there is no way. That you can credibly say we need to stay in because of these, you know, lottery ticket like possibilities. That's not the basis to stay in a race and embarrass yourself and get crushed and, you know, fritter away tens of millions of dollars. That just makes no sense. That's not a strategy. Greg and Schomberg. Morning, Dan and Amy. Do
11: you remember when Sean Dunstan was on the Cubs and there was the Sean-O-Meter in center field that was yes. held up and focused on TV?
12: Mm-hmm.
11: You two are my own meters. The danometer is always going to come on after I always try to listen to you to see what the the general sense is. And the Danometer is always going to be imprecise language, petty and crass. And the Amyometer meter is going to be all of that plus the women's sensitivities issues. And thus, I deduce within the first two or three minutes, did Trump have a winning night or not have a winning night? And based on what I've heard today, he did not have a winning night because both of the two meters here are off the wall in terms of criticism of him. And there is one solution to all of this that I wish somebody would get to him on. And that is, to recognize the servant leadership aspect that is so apparent and endemic to the Trump brand, always trying to serve the customer, but to do it within a calm, reasonable, very sensitive to emotion like manner that will register with voters and get over the crassness and all of the stuff that you guys are justifiably putting on the board. Thanks.
0: Thanks for the call, Greg. Well, I mean, first, um, you know, of course, I take umbrage at the fact that I'm. What? Not sensitive to women's sensitivities because <laughs> that that just couldn't be further from the oh, truth. Oh,
3: wait till you see what's coming, partner.
0: Uh, you know, I mean, a I, surprise I, for you later. I'm a little I'm a little afraid to show my feminine side sometimes. Oh, really? know, it frightens me. But, you know, it's there. Uh, you well, do I, wear it, pink sometimes. too. I, it, I think it, you're well, wearing pink today. Is that pink? No, this is red, white and blue. Oh, mark. Pa- the patriotic colors. Yes, <laughs> It's our flags colors.
3: Oh, it is. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that.
0: But I, I haven't been critical about Trump so much. I mean, yes, yeah, so I'm just saying what he should do now is ignore Haley. I think actually, over the course of the last several months, he's been pretty good, and he was very gracious when DeSantis dropped out before uh, before yeah. last night's uh, uh, primary election and so forth. So, no, I think he's actually been you know better than he has been in periods previously. Had yeah, his former to...
3: challengers on stage with him, and he actually let him speak. Tim Scott, Vivek. I mean,
0: yeah, right. Trump
3: from later years would have never have done that, so, given them any airtime.
0: That's what I'm saying. So more of that. I'm not. I'm saying here's this opportunity. If he can avoid getting uh, going off on these tangents, an opportunity, and he should take advantage of it because this is not a fait accompli in November. And I'm not suggesting he's treating it as such. But there is a lot of work to do that. I don't have the senses completely done yet, and that's that's my focus. And then, yeah, the criticizing the dress comment. Was he like Jacobs from Airplane? I mean, he's doing shtick. I get that, but you know, uh, Frank, board of trade.
7: Yeah, as I, uh,
13: during the last break, Mike Scott mentioned about the uh, the uh, the fact that the Democrats were going to focus on the uh, uh, going to focus on sure. the. Uh, abortion rights issue and um as i recall during the last election cycle that was the demographic that put the uh, the democrats in office was the fact that the unwed mother vote uh, i don't know how you measure that was the uh, was the number that uh that really uh put them over the top
0: yeah it's an issue thanks for the call frank well that's another issue to, to has to be game plan there's no question about it it's an issue. This is why uh, Mr. 10% was in Virginia yesterday oh, God. Uh, doing a Restore row rally because that's right. That constituency, single women and particularly a single women that are moms, are as core a constituency to the Democrats as the black vote is and bigger. So... Um, this is an, this, so the messaging on this issue is going to be important. And actually, I think Trump has good instincts on this. I think he's probably taking it where it needs to go. Um, but this is what I'm talking about in terms of sort of game planning, the sequencing and uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the tactics associated with the sort of messaging you want to do in the run-up to the convention season and then the run downhill to November – when people really start to focus in. I mean, this primary campaign is over, whether Nikki Haley wants to concede it at this moment or not. And so take this opportunity, legal strategy, political strategy, the marriage of the two, and uh, when, as it pertains to Trump's trials, and then the actual uh, political uh, challenges that Republicans generally, and that includes Trump, have going into November, even, despite the unpopularity of Biden, even despite the fact that a majority of this country thinks that the incumbent president is a senile kleptocrat. You would think that would be enough, but I'm, I'm telling you it's not, not yet. Tony in Downers Grove.
14: Hey, Dan. Yeah. You know what? This is exactly what I was going to say as well. I mean, yes. uh, Nikki Haley's delusional. I mean, she couldn't even win New Hampshire with the independent vote and Democrats voting. But abortion again, rearing its ugly head, and we've talked about this. There is no messaging from the from the Republicans. I mean, this is not hard. This is not hard. We we know where that cult for the Biden voters stand. They're a cult too, as much as MAGA is a cult. But there's no message yet. There's no. Where's the message on that? And where's the, where's the stance on the border? This I I I'm so. This, I'm amazed that the Republican stats can't get out and say, this is a separate issue, and we're going to vote on this, and that's it. And they're not taking that stand. If they don't get two messages across in these two areas, that they're they're, there's going to be no victory in uh,
0: in November. Thanks for the call, Tony. Um give you an example of what you're dealing with uh, on the other side, on the left, w- with this issue, since the other big story that got... Uh, subordinated to the New Hampshire primary, of course, was the president doing this Restore Row rally in Virginia and Kamala Harris no, doing a hagiographic, what other kind of interviews does CNN do, uh, pushing the same thing. But let's just give you an example of what you're dealing with. This is a woman who's a student at uh, Medical College of Wisconsin north of the Cheddar Curtain testifying before the Wisconsin State Legislature.
3: So gross.
0: She's an OBGYN student. She's going to be an OBGYN. I think abortion should be unrestrictive. And I think when somebody finds out in pregnancy, when or how far yeah. along that they are, when someone finds out, they should be able to get an abortion if they want to. And for some people, that is full term. Yeah. If I can't get abortion training here, if I can't perform abortions in my career, I will not stay in Wisconsin. And a lot of my colleagues who are on the same track agree.
3: Okay, murderer. <laughs> How soon till she gets a job in Illinois? Here, yeah, sure, right. Jelly Belly will watch that. Like, oh, what's her name? Let's get her information.
0: Well, I mean, there's Fast a lot of here. there's a lot of delicate little flowers wandering around who are um, uh, you know attractive ghouls like that woman who have been. Um, indoctrinated with this, to borrow from Tony's, from Downers Grove, indoctrinated into this death cult almost since they were taken full term. Um, And so, you know, it's an issue, and particularly in a swing state like uh, like Wisconsin. Uh, Marty Naperville. Good morning. I'm glad I get to follow Josephine over there. Um my
1: my prediction and talk me out of it is that during the DNC they're gonna they're gonna truck out Michelle Obama. Not, and that's gonna be the
0: Democratic nominee. Please talk me out of that prediction. It's
14: not happening. Right, Marty. It's not gonna
0: happen. First of all, the only way no. to bring Michelle Obama out is to truck her out.
3: Hey, hey, hey now. Uh
0: but secondly that's
3: my former girl there you talking. About.
0: Uh, I know, stunning, uh, gorgeous. She, I mean, we've She's we've had this conversation before. Yes,
3: it's not going to happen, folks. Listen up, not going to happen.
0: No, she will never run never. for public office.
3: Never, never.
0: And and by the way, I always just one other the we, the they, they're going to do something. They're going to and they're going to put up this person and they're going to take out that person. Who's the they? Just sort of this amorphous socialist blob. It doesn't work that way. The Biden hillbilly crime family from Wilmington, Delaware, gets to have a say. They're sort of in the driver's seat, if you haven't noticed.
1: It's like a hot steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer
8: is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local, family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy well, isn't this a microcosm of our politics? This story about uh, Carrie Lake, you know, the Republican nominee for governor last cycle in Arizona. Now she's running for the United States Senate seat, currently occupied by Kristen Cinema in Arizona. But she's not the choice of the establishment GOP donor class in Arizona or D.C. And uh, that was made clear to her in case it wasn't by the Arizona State Republican Party chairman a guy named Jeff DeWitt. They had a conversation apparently uh last March the audio of which was just released yesterday the Daily Mail had it uh, had the exclusive. And I got to tell you the timing of the release of this uh tape I mean who would have had this audio other than either DeWitt or Lake? And I don't think Dewitt has any interest in releasing it. So Carrie Lake or somebody around her releasing it this timing, holding it for low these many months, waiting for the right time. If that's the case, I mean, if it is, then um, I got to tell you, I like the killer instinct.
3: Oh, she's a beast, man.
0: I, I like that. You know, this is be the, this. You need people with that kind of killer instinct, not wanting to just play ball, to be on their team. As opposed to your team, but the your being, you know, her constituents, Americans' team, as opposed to those who buy and sell politicians for their on-again, off-again interests, politi- uh, financial and other ways. This is really interesting. Because what you're about to hear, I mean, it may not I mean, – we're sort of jaded in, Ch- in Chicagoland and in Illinois, but – so this is old hat to us, but – you know, outside of the FBI wiretapping an Illinois governor, you don't normally get the back and forth uh, unvarnished like this. So here's what uh, uh, Jeff DeWitt said when he called Carrie Lake back in March. By the way, she's confirmed the authenticity of this recording.
15: All right. They want to be on the team.
0: They want you to be on
12: their team. If to, you
15: know? But if they're pushing a globalist agenda, I can't do that. So what do they want? What do they want me to do?
12: You want to stay opportunities. for <laughs> But, i will tell you what I can offer you. But, um, I said, you can do whatever you want. Know, talking head, this and that. So the, the ask of me was, it's kind of funny. So the, the ask I got today from back east was, this is, has is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll
0: and give her to keep her out? And I said, Well, what do you want to do? Like, whatever we need to
15: do. This is about defeating Trump. And I think that's a bad, bad thing for our country.
0: And then DeWitt pressed on with the look, this is just a pause. Just a pause. Uh, and um, uh, Carrie Lake saying, You know, the, the fight is now. Uh, so I, we can't pause, and then they get into it again, just in terms of you know who the they is, the the guys back east, you know the guys upstairs, kind of business.
12: It's a it's a back scratching club. That's all DC is. It's a big mm-hmm. back scratching club. You're no you're in no position to scratch anybody's back, and you've already made it known that if you get there, you're not going to scratch anybody's back. I all scratch people's back. You know, I was I've been on the outs with a lot of people for a long time because I don't scratch backs. Mm-hmm. You know, where are we in two years if they steal the election again?
15: Listen to what you're saying. Why don't we do something about it? What, so that we, the people, can pick our. What can we do? I'm not willing to accept that, and I'm going to be the biggest f-ing pain in these people. Go back and tell them that. I'm running, and I'm going to be the biggest pain in their.
12: And I'm not willing to tell them that.
15: And they're going to have to kill me. To stop
3: me. Wow. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six type in d a then a quick comment
0: she went back uh as the conversation proceeded to um to assert what you heard her assert at the outset that this is about taking out trump and by extension trump supporters like her and um and then her sort of general disgust she goes back and forth a little bit sort of because dewitt argues that it's an honor that they're Attempting to buy you out of the race, um, but her disgust at uh, that proposition.
15: I'm with Trump. Okay, I want to work for I the betterment you. of Arizona. I'm I'm not going to let these people back in D.C. tell me not to run. I'm not going to pause for two years. The battle is now. I'm offended by whoever these people are that they're trying to Why? buy me out
12: of. We should be honored.
15: But they're, I'm offended that there's people back there who just don't get about our country.
12: Do you understand though? You should be honored. That that <laughs> means they know how powerful you are.
15: Well, I can tell them that. If you were powerful,
12: they wouldn't. They wouldn't want to have this conversation. Yeah. Right? You should be. Very few people get this. I know.
15: I'm just. Honored. I'm pissed that they don't care more about our country. It's all about the mighty dollar to them, and that's offensive. I don't know. I honestly don't know. They want to get Trump so bad. They want him out that's so not bad. About Trump.
12: This isn't about Trump. It's about you. not
8: about
14: Trump. I'm
12: if, not Some people are on, uh, in on this. Uh, I Listen,
15: I can win. Why don't you go back and tell them that I can win, and why do not they get behind me?
12: I just see. I see these things through a different
0: lens. Oh, that's the point I raised last hour when we were talking about Trump with respect to the donor class. Once it becomes obvious that he's the nominee, and if you don't want to see another term of Biden, why don't you lean into Trump? And attempt to have influence in a direction that perhaps makes him better at some of the concerns that that they have. And frankly, that I probably have in terms of presentation Um, and maybe even some disagreements on policy. That's fine. But why don't you lean into it and be constructive on the right side of things as opposed to undermining the right side of things because it's not your guy on the right side. Representing you know, the right yeah. side. You
3: know what this reminds me of? Remember when during the gubernatorial race we had Jesse Sullivan on, good-looking guy. Remember, he looks like Tom Brady's little brother. Um, and he said he was visited, remember, at his home by uh higher up in the Republican Party, asking him not to run or wait your turn or run for something else. And there was some, and he wouldn't give us the name of the person. Remember?
0: Yeah, that, there, there was some, it was like some horse was, trading th- going on. It was like threatening, and then maybe somebody tried to to buy him out. Well, I mean, like Kerry Lake. Per this audio, and again, we don't know the source of it, but we it has been authenticated uh, by two sources of the Daily Mail as well as Carrie Lake herself uh, yesterday when this story broke. Um, but she comes across as like she's the anti Rod Blagojevich. That's probably the most uh, the closest example we have of you know the guys be, well the guy being the governor uh, trying to sell off this and sell off that, and you know these guys trying to buy and sell in a similar fashion not a senate seat per se in this case but um a nomination for a senate seat because they don't want carrie lake
3: i just love how he as mentions or not to mention the conversation to anybody
0: yeah you know, well that
3: makes his first offer
0: yeah uh, and it's not and, a good look and, and 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 by the way dewitt as you i think you'll hear him saying this la, this last clip you know expresses his support of trump he should be supportive of trump Trump nominated him to be the CFO of NASA, where he served as CFO for two years, the Arizona Republican Party state chairman. We'll see how long um, that goodwill lasts at this point. Uh, When this uh, audio came out yesterday, there have now been calls, including by Kerry Lake, as well as by the Maricopa County Republican Party chairman for DeWitt to resign. So we'll see. But here's the here's the last uh, gasp. Do it makes uh, try to get uh, a number out of Kerry Lake, or uh, if this, then that, out of her. Just to say,
12: is there a number at which
0: I can be bought? <laughs> <Not>
15: be bought.
0: <laughs> That's what it's about. You can take a, Rent it. a just rented, just no. right rented.
15: <laughs> no, 10 million 20 million, third: no, 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 a billion, no. This is not about money. This is about our country. I think it's disturbing that they would even, that anybody would think this is...
12: No, to be fair, even me, even me, I'll say this. I want a fresh face right now for the reason that I've never seen anyone, I can't think of a single person in a federal race who've lost, ran in and won. Mm I can't think of it. If you can think of it, let me know.
15: I am not going to let these people who hate our f- country tell me not to run. You should call them and tell them to get behind me. I, mean, I, I, I can win and they should words. get behind me.
14: I would I will happily
12: say those words. Yeah. Do you think my words will carry any weight? No.
15: Okay. Well, did you think you would come in here and that I would be bought? <laughs> it's not being bought. <laughs> yes it is.
12: It's I think what it I It is own. being
15: bought. No. They they are trying to buy me out of running. What and I, it's it's actually I mean all right I'm flattered it's I'm offended I'm offended I for think, our country we I have people this, like this who live here
12: what I think is this is it can give you an incredible opportunity to have a bigger voice to fight for stuff than you currently do
3: yeah. <laughs> the spin
12: yeah <laughs> my God
15: yeah I I don't want right. to deal with people like this I don't see these it. people are un-American. And I, I think they're unethical, and I would be absolutely immoral if I did that. Again. That's immoral. I couldn't. I couldn't look at my. I, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, if I. You know. For
0: you. Uh, that couldn't be a better moment for Carrie Lake that, yeah, than if she would have staged it herself. If she would have written that script. I could not be a better moment. With uh, her candidacy, obviously, subsequently, subsequent to that phone call, and now pretty f- uh, long ago, having been announced for Senate seat. By the way, on the lean in piece of it, you know, the polling in that race. I'm not saying Carrie Lake is a, a a lock, or there may not be a better candidate out there in Arizona. I don't I don't know that landscape well enough to comment on that. But she's, I think, a point up on. Ruben Gallego, who's the Democrat candidate in the race, congressman, and Marine, he's not going to be an easy candidate to beat. And I think she's one point down if Kristen Cinema decides to run for re-election as an independent and make it a three-way race. And you know how Kristen Cinema likes three ways.
3: Heyo, and those oh, kinky you. boots on the Senate floor. So, Dear
0: Lord. Uh, so I, I just I was like, Carrie Lake is not. Um, Uh, an impossibility in Arizona the way that uh, Jeff DeWitt and the the boys back east uh, want to suggest, I mean, just based on the numbers. So I say again, I mean, if that's – you have a primary if you want to fight it out. If you think you've got somebody better, then put them up against Cary Lake. If they win, they win. If they lose, then you back Cary Lake, then lean into it. Or if you don't think you can beat her in a primary, then save your money and focus it on a pickup opportunity – and lean into Carrie Lake right now. You know, these. it's so funny how these guys who are some of these guys, like the boys back east that yeah. DeWitt's talking about, they they pretend to be like they're so transactional. They're realpolitik. They're not ideological. And yet they, they become ideologically tethered to certain popular opinions that are repeated on MSNBC and CNN and by David French and never Trumpers, and they think that, well, that's just the received wisdom. That just is, and I'm going to hold on to that regardless of other arguments, regardless of, uh, you know, uh, data-driven evidence to suggest that that is not or it certainly may not be the case. There's, you know, some but there's a lot people with a lot, there are people out there with a lot of money who play in GOP politics who don't have, a scintilla's worth of political instincts. Mary Kay, Western Springs.
5: Hey, good morning. Um, so I held that meeting last night to talk to people about Beanie's uh, Ives Initiative at parentsmattercoalition.org. Um, only 18-year-old kids showed up, which I thought was great. Um, so we're talking, and I am getting, you know— uh, to be relatable to 18-year-olds at my age is makes me so happy because they just open up and they say everything that's on their mind. And we were swearing, and they're like saying "excuse me," and I'm saying "I'm sorry," <laughs> you know. Um, but oh,
0: you were swearing, and they were having Uh-oh. to correct no, you. I see. I, no, uh,
5: I did it under my breath. I said frickin', and "what the uh, hell," you know, okay. like that. And then they were picking up on it. I know, but they're kids, and we know. You know, we are in the same circles. They know me. And um, but what I hear Carrie Lake saying is, "Don't ruin it for the country." She's she's sensible. Saying, "I am." The candidate, and for that guy to say um, uh, a bigger voice—who who doesn't have a big genie? I mean, Terry um, Lake has a huge voice, a no. bigger voice. What, what bigger? What did he mean?
0: Yeah, thanks for the call, Kate. No, what he was saying is, this is the great thing. Here, here's the, here's the pitch. Yeah, um, we give you money to go away for two years, and then you'll have even a bigger voice. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. In this moment, right now, as a surrogate for Trump, as a Senate candidate. I would have a bigger, as opposed to doing that. That's I would have a bigger voice if I disappeared. What's no, just <laughs> I mean, The spin? How they try and sell it? It's so gross. Uh, right. We're going to put send you into exile. You're going go to go to Elba You're, you're going to go to Elba, and we don't want to hear from you for two years. And then you're going to have a bigger <laughs> voice after that. After you skip this election cycle. I'm so
3: glad she told him to pound sand, and I'm so glad this audio came out.
0: John in Florence, Wisconsin.
13: Yeah, good for Kerry Lake. Carpe diem. Um, these these uh, boys out east are just a bunch of gutless uh, cowards that are lazy because the best economy the world has ever seen was December of twenty nineteen. Um, you know Abraham Lincoln lost a couple times before he got uh, the presidency, and um, you know uh, President Trump. Uh, he didn't have any uh, political career before 2016. And what scares the uniparty, the swamp of D.C., is if everybody works, uh, America is still the best country on the planet with every resource available. And if you want true freedom of everything, freedom of speech, freedom of uh, expression, give everybody a job and destroy it uh Destroy the uh, government establishment from the bottom up because once everyone has a paycheck, you don't need the government. Have a good right. day, guys.
0: Thanks, John. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: The more you listen, the more, you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer at AM 560. The answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560,
0: The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A good, notable, and quotable uh, yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Rest in peace, Sergeant Abu Latif. Uh, Abu Latif was uh, killed uh, near the border with, uh, in Gaza, near the Israeli border in Gaza. Troops were inside buildings they were preparing to demolish with mines. Hamas fighters fired uh, rocket-propelled grenades at a tank that was securing the site and at the two of the uh, two-story buildings where the soldiers were completing their mission. Sergeant First Class uh, Abu Latif worked as a security guard at uh, Ben Gurion University, father of a baby girl. In a post-dated October 25th, Abu Latif wrote that he was proud to be serving in the Bedouin patrol unit and of being an Israeli Bedouin. So that's uh, Arabic extraction. Right? We, we forget in this conversation that there are um, uh, allies of uh, the Jews at Israel, uh, in the state of Israel that are of Arabic ethnicity uh, even before he was called up for reserve duty Abu Latif said I'm happy that I'm able to invite my friends to eat meat and rahat and can be hosted in the gardens of the people from the uh, kibbutz shovel shovel who play the guitar and sing songs I'm happy when I can travel around Israel with my friends and I'm most happy that they learn Arabic to try to talk to me in Arabic and ask me to help them since the war erupted We hear a lot about the involvement of the Arab citizens. Unfortunately, among the fallen are Bedouin and Druze soldiers, Muslims and Christians, who fell as heroes while defending the country. There's nothing greater than that. We all share the same fate and we must work together. Unfortunately, there are people who don't believe in cooperation between different populations. They try to intimidate, provoke, and destroy relations, destroy trust. Don't believe them. Don't let it happen. Rest in peace, Sergeant Abu Latif. Uh, Yeah, the people he's talking about, certainly um, Hamas terrorists, um, uh, and also, you know, the Ivy League, (laughs) the American professorate writ large. I mean, just in case (laughs) we say again, you thought that Harvard, for example, was chastened by the Claudine Gay affair. Just in case you thought that
3: Not that they learned a lesson,
0: maybe the um, co-chair of the task force on combating anti-Semitism at Harvard is a history professor named Derek Penslar, who believes Israel operates a regime of apartheid that employs Jewish supremacism.
3: <laughs> I mean, Are you kidding me? You can't you can't make this stuff up.
0: It just—it's unbelievable. Rich, our friend, Rich Goldberg at Foundation Defense Democracy. The same things going on at Northwestern. Northwestern president, um, the Dickensian named Michael Schill, His advisory committee on preventing anti-Semitism and hate—it's important work. He's got this whole missive announcing the committee and all the names and all of the, you know, sort of corporate academic blather about important work and you know a better tomorrow and all this. Kumbaya nonsense and Goldberg starts to actually looked at the names. uh, Meet this helpful member of the committee, an activist in the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, Jessica Winnegar. Three of the members on the committee signed a public letter rejecting condemnations of anti-Semitism and insisting on an Islamophobia task force instead. One student appears to be uh, to be the leader, one student who's on this anti-Semitism task force at Northwestern appears to be the leader of uh, the NU MENA group, that's um, Middle East, North Africa, the MENA group, MENA student group, that has been a chief source of genocidal calls against Jews. And they co-chairs qualifications. His most influential scholarship is tribal critical race theory, a groundbreaking framework he developed into—this is his quote, the description of it on his behalf— A groundbreaking framework he developed in 2005 to help explain indigenous people's complex experiences with education, colonialization and racism. Right. Um, It's it's literally like the far side cartoon with the guy in hell in the wheelbarrow whistling while he works. And the two uh, devils are looking, watching him. And the one says to the other, I don't think we're getting through to this guy. That's what this is like at Harvard and Northwestern, the Ivy League, these elite schools. I don't think—maybe it's not possible to get through to them.
3: I don't know. I just think about the Jewish students there and if they ever feel safe.
0: For more on this and um, other geopolitical matters, we're pleased to be joined again by Dr. Zudi Jassers, the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander, and— if that wasn't enough, Republican candidate for Congress in Arizona in uh, District 4. That's the district that uh, Stanton, right, the former mayor of Phoenix. I think a demo- Democrat is the incumbent. Doctors asked, uh, Dr. Zudy Jasser, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
16: Oh, it's great to be with you, Dan. Thank you for having me back.
0: Is that your district, uh, the Stanton, the former Phoenix mayor?
16: Yes, it is. The uh, missing in action Stanton, who uh, just recently voted to allow no change at the border. The same stand that was missing when Rashida Klaib came to raise money for a terrorist organization. The students for Justice in Palestine. So uh, I think the people are ready for a significant change and and real leadership in our district.
3: And is Arizona State in that district?
16: Yes, ASU is in our district in Tempe, and uh, uh, you know they receive funds uh, for a lot of the work they do from the taxpayers, and the taxpayers have a right to make sure that their kids, their Their universities, their professors are not uh, condoning uh, anti-Semitism, condoning uh, support of Hamas and providing material support of Hamas. And it's a very simple thing. And yet, as you have been outlining, uh, it is an upside-down world where uh, we seem to be uh, truly targeting the victims. uh, The Jewish community, who has been the primary uh, victims of uh, bigotry and hate, And yet somehow when they defend themselves, the only democracy in the Middle East, uh, they become the enemy, which is just absurd. Absurd.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, this seems to me like so easy, um, but it's uh, it's stunningly difficult. I mean, you're a medical doctor, so you've had your share of schooling the. The 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 culture on campuses at what are reputedly you know some of the best institutions of higher learning in the Western world that's maybe in question, but I don't know, you know maybe they're like America, sort of the the, uh, the tallest skyscraper in Wichita at the moment. But um, I, I mean, what Harvard is doing, it, what Northwestern is doing, it's almost it, you almost you you cannot be that dense. It almost has to be purposely. Offensive. It almost has to be like, you, you think you can bring us to heal? You're not even close. I, I just can't otherwise explain what I just described with these, you know, task force that's, that are supposed to, you know, try to paper over or provide some, you know, uh, uh, healing process on campus and, and so forth
16: when when i testified to congress multiple times in 2011 2012 about the rot in the system that used the term islamophobia and that there was this alliance with uh, regimes like qatar and iran and others that created this term to suppress free speech and i said you know in the universities these radical islamists are working with the far left the progressivists who are labeling muslims as the victims but islam is an idea we have a right to to debate whether Islam is a theocratic, oppressive movement, or if it's a faith that's a personal faith that many of us love that want to defend, but yet there's a civil war happening. And now, fast forward, peri-pandemic and post-pandemic, every front, people are realizing that the wokists, the progressivists, turned everything upside down, made the West, made America into the problem rather than the solution, and uh, they exploited that. Uh, we see this in our medical schools. And I can tell you, as a physician, I've seen national medical meetings open with the apologetic that this meeting is on stolen ground and all the DEI nonsense. Right. Our military academies, as a former military officer, I've talked to, I'm on uh, the board of an organization called STARS that's looking at reform within our naval and air force academies at at bizarre language limitations, bizarre Inabilities of our future military officers to have debates about and uh, discussions about what terrorism is and, and what Islamism is and, and who our enemies are and what America stands for. On every front, America is under siege, and it's not a it's not a coincidence that the border is also out of control because they're trying to destroy us in every way possible. And the rot starts from the top, as far as the universities and uh, what we're teaching our next generation. And as Reagan said, we're one generation from losing it, uh, this country, losing our freedoms, and uh, we can't uh, step aside and say, oh, it'll it'll work next uh, election cycle. It'll work uh, in a few years and and work its way out. Um, The time is now to fix this, and we have to realize that that rot needs to be corrected immediately.
3: Well, what should President Biden do at the border? Policy changes.
16: Well, it could start with, I mean, even H.R. 2, which was about uh, stopping the nonsense as far as asylum and and uh, re-upping the reality of what our laws say on the books. Just enforce the laws on the books. Have the the Border Patrol do what they are assigned to do, which is to prevent folks from coming in uh, uh, needlessly and uh, uh, hemorrhaging in without any limitations. Just enforce the laws on the books and why we continue to pass continuing resolution after continuing resolution, funding uh, wars abroad and, and not our own country is just besides me. And, and I don't see why the Republicans are labeled as obstructionists, and somehow we don't want to support other conflict while our own military is being attacked by Iran and, and other interests, and yet we want to seal our, our border first. So the laws are on the books. And the Democrats need to be held accountable for the fact that they're allowing an invasion constantly at levels unseen before, And uh, I don't think the Republican Party should stand anymore for uh, letting this happen.
0: um the uh, The words I read at the outset, those moving words from that sergeant first class who was killed in action, defending his home on behalf of others, talking about the um, the need for people, uh, uh, Arabic people and uh, Jewish people to work together for peace in that region. You know, I don't want to be Pollyannish about this, but I mean is it is it underappreciated in the west the um the amount of collaboration there is between uh Jewish people and uh Arabic people when it comes to uh trying to repel and eradicate terrorist organizations like Hamas?
10: You are so right,
16: Dan. I mean, I can't tell you. I've been to Israel twice, and both times, I you know, people don't realize there's a million Israeli Arabs that uh, live among the six, seven million Jews in Israel. Uh, I've talked to uh, judges, and uh, in their Shari- they have a Sharia court system that are. It's a Muslim court system for marriage and family law that is part of the Israeli legal system, along with the. Uh, Uh, Jewish and Christian courts are there. Uh, There's a a Christian Arab on their Supreme Court. Uh, They have uh, members of the Knesset that are Muslim, some of whom are actually pretty radical, actually, that uh, don't uh, uh, toe the line of uh, uh, regular democracy, but yet they accept that as part of their democracy, uh, that uh, even Hamas supporters can uh, be part of their Knesset, of their democracy. So you know, listen, people don't understand the reality of what Israel is and, and how much not only of an ally, but what they represent for the future. Uh, it's There's a book called The Startup Nation about all the small startups that exist in Israel, and most of them include Palestinian, Arabic, uh, Jewish, uh, Israeli citizens working together for a future. And, you know, this is the reality and why I think the, the greatest bigots in the room across the country and universities and what we were talking about with DEI – are the left because they want to divide us into identity groups. And most of us want to be colorblind, want to be religion blind, and more about freedom and equality, real equality. And that's why I think there will be a red wave in November if people start to realize that we are the party of equality, meritocracy, free markets, free thinking, and not the quality of identity, not the party of identity politics.
0: Before we let you go, I have to ask you about that Kerry uh, Lake, Jeff DeWitt, Jeff DeWitt tape that uh, was uh, made public yesterday by the Daily Mail. There have been calls for the uh, state party chairman, uh, Republican Party chairman in Arizona, to resign over the apparent attempt to bribe Kerry Lake out of the race for Senate. What's your reaction?
16: I have to tell you, man, I'm worried about my own race, but – at the end of the day, if that turns out to be true, this is why many of us are running and why people say, why aren't good people in politics? And God bless Carrie Lake for responding to him the way she did. She said, you know, listen, uh, you can't buy me for a billion dollars, and uh, these are the kind of candidates we need in office. And if the head of a state party uh, – listen, he was a Trump appointee and continued yeah. – you know, this is not about uh, anti-Trump or pro-Trump. It's about the future of American democracy and that we can't let, as he said, in the, if that's him, uh, out East people want uh, different things. I mean, this is if we really want to reform elections and have true voice of the people, this demonstrates that this is the type of uh, uh, finagling going on that needs to stop right now. We need to expose it.
0: So, so DeWitt resign?
16: I'll let him decide that. I'm still running my first race ever in state here, okay. so uh, um, I'll let him decide that. Has
3: he been supportive of you?
16: I've not talked to him yet about my race, uh, so but he's not been uh, he's not weighed in on our congressional race.
0: Doctor Zudi Jasser, he is a candidate for Congress in Arizona Four. He would um, double the average IQ of Congress if he were elected by himself. Uh, Z for AZ dot com is the website. Z for AZ dot uh, this is a guy we want uh, in a policy leadership position. Dr. Zudi Jasser, president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy, co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement, former Navy Lieutenant Commander, and candidate for Congress. Dr. Jasser, thanks as always. Appreciate it.
16: Thanks, Dan. Amy, appreciate it.
3: Thank you, and he joined us on our Turnkey Pro Answer Line.
16: It's like a hot, steaming
1: cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's getting fun now. Oh, yeah. I wonder how the shake-darn artists like getting shaken down. Cam Buckner is a state rep. He uh, was one of the candidates for mayor oh, yes. last go-around.
3: Former football player, big guy. Yeah.
0: If Chicago doesn't get federal help for its housing crisis, it should pass on hosting the DNC. How do you like that? Instead of instead of worrying about uh, prepping for the DNC and how uh, we got to get control of this the situation on the ground here with the, in terms of violent crime and the migrants and the combination of the two instead of that like we're worried we're looking at, no no mm-hmm. unless you give us X you mm-hmm. take your convention give me that
3: 312 turnkey dot pro answer line you could also hit us up on our text line which is up and running six four six Three six. Type in D A. Then a quick comment.
0: I mean uh, that this has to be music to the ears of one Governor Jelly Belly, who is uh, this is supposed to be his coming out party. This is his star turn. You know, having uh, the hosting oh, yeah. duties for the Democrat National Convention come the fall, yeah. and here you have uh, some of the rank and file New Marxists bespoiling. Uh, that coming out party potentially.
3: Well, they have demands, and and Cam Buckner is not the only one. I mean, when you were off uh, just one day uh, a few weeks ago, Father Flager came out and said, "Absolutely, we need to cancel this. We are not ready. We need to help the homeless first. Father we Flager
0: had... came on the show? No, no,
3: didn't come on the show. We we he played sound oh, bites because he came oh, out and was. I would big... hate Hated to miss that. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, whew, I'm not going there. Yeah, but well, I no, I'm just saying that he came out and said we need to stop this. We're not doing that. We should not host the DNC convention.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because in this op-ed in the Tribune mm-hmm. in the coming weeks, writes Cam Beckner, I will be working with Father Michael Flager and a contingent of concerned Chicagoans from St. Sabina who share the concerns that begun to mobilize behind them. Hey, why don't you go shut down an expressway over it?
3: Hey, why not? Palestinians did again on Saturday. They shut down the Stevenson.
0: but The, the pro-Hamas actually, protesters? Yeah, 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 with their
3: flags, the green Hamas flag, but they actually... Illinois State Police actually arrested them, or just took them off the highway and got their cars off.
0: So the shakedown here, the shakedown, the national call out. We're not just asking for money. You take your convention if you don't give us, and this. So that's that's just fantastic. If it doesn't give you a sense of how delusional th- these politicians are, the the immeasurable self importance they confer. I don't know what will. By the way, catch something else in the phraseology. We don't have a migrant crisis, just like we don't have a border crisis, like the big guy says. We don't have a migrant crisis in Chicago. You know what we have. What do we have? Just what Cam Buckner said, housing crisis.
9: Mm-hmm.
0: Some have called it a migrant crisis. These, this is the prose of one Cam Buckner, who is an attorney, by the way, but not necessarily a real stickler for the law. You see that a lot, actually, with attorneys. Surprising amount. Some have called a migrant crisis, others a mission, others a challenge. I believe these terms have convoluted the issue that is really at the forefront. Chicago has a high a housing crisis, which is a self-inflicted and on full display.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, the $16 million in leases to uh, three West Loop uh, politically connected developers we talked about yesterday, I guess, speaks to that, huh? Calling this a migrant crisis, writes Representative Buckner, Buckner. who, by the way, big proponent yes. of the Safety Act, too, yeah. the Pritzker-Purge Law.
3: Didn't he author it?
0: Uh, right. he, I think he was a co-sponsor. Yeah, a co-sponsor. Um,
3: I can't stand him because of COVID, because I begged him for help, because he's a former football player. I'm like, you know what it's like. You know the need to play organized sports. Help. And he wouldn't do it. Absolutely refused.
0: Calling this a migrant crisis, he writes, creates the narrative of Chicagoans versus arrivals and allows people to look past the humanitarian obligations that have already existed and run to their corners without listening. Humanitarian obligations that have already existed and run to the corner. I don't. I, mm. uh, he needs that uh, copy editor. Uh, furthermore, it creates, a, and so does the Tribune apparently, furthermore, it creates a sensationalized rift between two communities that already have a complicated relationship. And here we, here we go with the Identitarian Politics.
14: What, I can't wait. Here,
0: here's a phrase that should be removed from the English language. Like right underneath uh, the do you know who I am. Oh, I love right underneath one. do you know who I am. As a fill in the identitarian blank. As a Irish Danish uh, cisgender uh, patriarchal yeah, member of the patriarchy. No. As a second generation native black Chicagoan. Oh, my, oh, my. God. Second-generation
3: native black Chicagoan? Yeah,
0: who is married to a first-generation Latina-American and raising a black and Latino son. Hey, could you give us more detail? (laughs) I understand firsthand the complexities of the connection, the connection between the indigenous and the, the new arrivals. But if Chicago magically ceased to be a welcoming city tomorrow, that would not make things better for black communities that have been benignly neglected for generations. Right. Generations. While over those generations, you've had now three black mayors. But uh, OK. And a black sure.
3: Cook County president. And on and on and, and on. And state's right. attorney. We yeah, know the list. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. The fight over Crumbs is misleading because half of nothing is still nothing. It's They've got nothing. And by the way, they, that's the way they characterize them. The black community. Cam Buckner is another self-appointed spokesman and shakedown artist on behalf of the black community. Maybe somebody would ask the black community how what they think of Cam Buckner. Well, obviously they register what they think of him by the couple of percentage points he got running for mayor. The true fight at the moment is housing, says Cam Buckner. The influx of new arrivals entering Chicago has not and will not break us. That doesn't seem what uh, BLM Brandon is experiencing, but okay. But what it has done is revealed to us what is already broken.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: in a country in a country with 43 million people living below the poverty line we can't keep pretending the poor and outhouse people don't exist no bring them all to chicago cam buckner's got a cam buckner and flager have a solution so here he is i realize this is bold and unprecedented you give us what we need biden or we tell you to take your dnc and shove it we must act with that in mind, I, but our situation is unprecedented. We must act with that in mind. I'm excited about the DMC. I'm voting for Joe Biden. I believe the future of our democracy depends on it. I'm even running to be a convention delegate. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then more identitarian PAP and blah, 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 How blah, does blah. It end? Um, the federal government must be implored to shake itself out of stasis. The DNC has a special obligation to leave cities better than it found them. It does. Parts of my district stand to benefit greatly from the convention. But if the federal government continues to do nothing on this current issue and the the broader housing issue that precipitated that our entire city and state stand to lose more. So give us the money or take a walk. State Representative Cam Buckner. What say you? 312-642-5600. Turnkey.pro answer line. 646-36-DA. Turnkey.pro text line. I just like to sit on the sidelines and watch.
3: Oh, yeah. This is a good game. Who's going to win?
0: Ron, Southside. Yo,
7: hey, Danny. Well, I tell you who will win. And first of all, that guy's an
17: idiot, man. But
11: <laughs> I think when, 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 when,
17: Brandon Johnson was the last person I would vote for. But that's because I hadn't heard much about this piece of garbage real quick uh but he means nothing to pritzer amy pritzer called uh welts speaker to Welch, say hey, look here get, get this clown in line see so no so this this is just uh game as they say okay so no and they're not going to get any money there's no money for these shakeouts Artists, So so the game is over, Amy. I'm letting you know ahead of time. Prince is already on the phone and say, get these clowns lined up. You all have a good day. Thanks
0: for the call, Ron. Uh, Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the fifth floor, BLM Brandon and uh, the city council, at least the, uh, you know, the eco supremacist contingent on the city council. Which I'm sure would include the uh, Kefia wearing oh, Byron Siglo Sigcho Ch- Ch- Lopez. Ch- Ch- Lopez. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Not, not uh, Middle Eastern.
0: Okay. Uh, they are, have uh, introduced and are moving an ordinance that would require new buildings and homes in Chicago right. no. to use electric over natural gas. This is, uh, you're seeing at the, the federal level, Biden's latest uh, anti energy independence gambit is to. Moved to ban LNG, liquefied natural gas. Now you have this, you know, again, mirroring what uh, is happening there on the left coast with um, um, uh, Governor Patrick Bateman and all of those new Marxists. So, of course, we're going to mirror that in Chicago. So the gas stove. We may may not be able to keep you safe from violent crime, but we can keep you safe from natural gas. Why are they even worried
3: about that? That's like my state rep, Ann Williams, worried about the rat hole being gone because somebody put plaster in it over the weekend. It's like, why why do you give a crap about that? Who cares? People are getting murdered. We have migrants crawling all over this place, going through our alley, going through the garbage. It's so weird,
0: and they care about that. Well, it's because when you're uninterested in the big things that you can't address, you try to distract people's attention with the little things.
3: Yeah, like that's a tourist attraction now. Come, come visit Chicago because we've an impression of a rat hole in a cement sidewalk. Um, yeah. Amy- the, oh, the, by the way, this electric—I know you don't cook, <laughs> but if you did cook, Dan, the electric stove experience is awful. You need the gas.
0: Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560
1: mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.
0: Uh, Let's take a call real quick here. Patricia in Midlothian, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
5: Uh, Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, One thing I need to correct you, Dan, we're on our fourth black mayor in Chicago. Don't
0: forget about Eugene Sawyer. Oh, yes. Oh. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yes, yes. The,
5: the other thing is, as a former ER nurse, we had um, developed disaster drills in case of some catastrophic event, where we had resources in place should that occur. I don't see that on a federal and a state level that they have done that before they open the door and let all these people in. Now they're crying because they don't have the resources.
0: Right. I mean, imagine them not planning for the implications of their policy choices. That's it's shocking, isn't it? It's a so, democratic th- way of life. Thanks for the call, Patricia. Um, uh, before we, uh, we break, I, yes. you know, sort of as a cleansing palate cleanser before we get to uh, Steve Moore at 737. Yeah. It's that time again.
4: And now,
0: Deep Thoughts. Okay, there we go. Got to set the bed.
2: Let me ask you one more question. I, it, I'm struck just in your presence. The I was watching you on stage, watching the reactions from the crowd, mm-hmm. looking you in the eye with your passion that you were displaying and talking about so many issues. Oh
3: and yet... Just make out with her, You
2: hear candidates a- suggesting that a vote for President Biden, because of his age, is somehow a vote for you. And that is hurled as an insult. It's intended to demonstrate some negative viewpoint towards you. What is your reaction to this thought that with your background in particular, with your career, that there is some thought that you are incapable?
3: Well, I I think that um, most women who have risen in their profession who are leaders in their profession, have had similar experiences. Mm. Um, I was the Mm. first woman to be Mm. elected Mm. district attorney. (gasps) I was the first woman to be elected attorney general of the state of California. And I'm the first woman to be vice president.
0: And I love my job.
3: (laughs) And then they made out.
0: (laughs) I love you. I love you too. Laura
3: Coates, oh my gosh, she was like fighting back tears. She couldn't fawn over her any more than she did.
0: Uh, she did platform uh, one other deep thought. <sighs> oh, yes, let me hear Since uh, we were talking about deep this topic. Thoughts.
3: We should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is a longstanding problem.
2: But what are those solutions?
0: The
3: solutions include putting resources at the border to do what we can to process people effectively oh, yeah. and putting in place laws that actually allow for a
15: meaningful meaningful pathway to citizenship
3: oh yeah come on Mm -hmm. she's you know what she's just saying there come on in you're thinking about it get your solution
0: the solution to the border is resources to process people into the country and put them on a path to citizenship faster those are your deep thoughts from your vp and hey she loves her job
1: Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, yesterday, uh, on the uh, election desk over at Fox News, Charles Payne from Fox Business um, had enough of all this caterwauling about uh, Trump criticizing Nikki Haley's dress and being, uh, uh, you know, know, engaging in the ad hominem in the direction of Nikki Haley after he vanquished her in New Hampshire and effectively ended the primary campaign, whether she wants to admit it or not.
3: He went on quite a rant.
0: Uh, Well, here's what – Charles Payne said about that after being put that uh, that having hit the, that question put to him by Bear,
9: and he talks about how Democrats
1: demean MAGA voters. He talked about it with me today, saying that you know it's just strange that they're talking about a, a group of voters like that.
17: Yeah, and, and, and I don't think it's narcissism. I think it's—you've lived in New York long enough. You know it's maybe a New York thing. Someone punches you, you punch him back harder. That's the way I grew up in Harlem. Not so, if the
2: country's at stake,
17: and, right? He won. He became president of the United States uh, with that same personality. I, I don't think that—you know, he, listen, I think it's worse with Biden calling MAGA. Biden's anger and vitriol and hatred for MAGA— it's far more worse than President Trump's individual battles with someone who crosses him. That is something that is really detrimental to this country, that the president of the United States despises half of the United States. President Biden—I I said earlier today, I just for about a week ago, I had a segment coming up, so I, I Googled, Biden hates MAGA nothing but articles after articles after articles. He has expressed hatred for who's his writing country. those articles. It doesn't matter. And it's because because the bottom line is he says it. He has vitriol for them. And so does MSNBC and so does CNN and so does the New York Times. They have vitriol for half of the nation. They don't look at them like fellow Americans. And it's unfortunate. They try to paint them as racist. They're, all the things that they do to their fellow Americans who simply want a safe home, a safe community, for the children to have prosperity They want the same thing But they demean them all the time That's why I think Phillips was so intriguing Because he went to a rally To find out for himself And guess what? Golly, these are some pretty cool people They're true. just like us exactly what-
0: Yeah, here's what Dean Phillips found
9: oh, You guys, I went to a Donald Trump rally A couple of nights ago, never been to one uh, I had an event across the street I saw the line of people waiting in the cold for hours And I thought, what the heck? You know, I'm going to be a leader who actually invites people, doesn't condemn them. Met probably 50 Trump people waiting in line, every single one of them, thoughtful, hospitable, friendly. All of them so frustrated that they feel nobody's listening to them but Donald Trump. A diverse crowd, people who had never been to a Trump event before. My party is completely delusional right now.
3: And one in five Democrats voted for him last night in New Hampshire. He did far better than the polls were predicting for him.
0: For more on this, uh, we're pleased to be joined by Steve Moore, economist, GovZilla author. Steve, thanks, as always. Appreciate it.
7: Good morning, guys. Good good night for Trump. No question about it. Uh, that You know, it looks like uh, we're bringing on the rematch, it looks like, although I still am wondering whether Joe Biden will be the nominee. Incidentally, I was watching Charles Payne last night on Fox when he, you know, really attacked uh, the the Biden rhetoric. And and I, look, I, on balance, I think he's right. You know, the, there is a, a, a real contempt that the left has for kind of ordinary blue, cat, blue collar Americans who love the country, want the border secure, want better jobs, want to make sure that you know we're putting the country first. And I look—I know a lot of people don't always agree with w- what Donald Trump has to say, but his message of you know making America—what's what, wrong with making America great again, MAGA? Oh my God, they're, these are horrible people. Um, you know, we did this stuff. This survey that came out just a few days ago, you guys may have seen about we called Us versus Them, where we actually, uh, you know, did a compare and contrast between the kind of cultural elite of America, 80 percent of whom support Biden, versus just the average ordinary American who answers polls. And the the, the different, it's almost like they live in two different countries. You know, uh, we asked the question, do you think there's too much freedom or too much government control of America? Now, you know, 80 percent of Americans say, you know, there's too much government control, not too much freedom. Half of these, you know, Biden elite say, oh, no, no, there's too much, too much freedom in America. <laughs> I mean, they think that the problem in America is there's too much freedom.
0: Well, the biggest uh, I mean, to, to your point on uh, that survey that we discussed, the biggest yeah. uh, d- discrepancy, the cultural elite, 80 percent are doing uh, well better and they have positive things to say about the direction of the country economically 20 percent of everybody else right i mean that's that's the most right. telling of all
14: yeah. yeah
7: it is and what it's telling you is look you know actually biden's policies have worked really well for for the people in a very very top tier of income you know the stock market's been doing really well this year um they, they haven't been really affected you know if you're a millionaire or billionaire inflation doesn't really affect you at all it's it's people who do live you know, paycheck to paycheck, who have to go to the grocery store every week and pump up their gas, and they, and, you know, they see gas is 35 percent more expensive than when Trump was in office. They see grocery prices are 25 percent, and yeah, inflation is the inflation rate has come down, but we're still stuck with these higher prices that have caused real hardship. I mean, w- let me just mention one other one I, that really sticks out to me, to me. We asked, do you think that we should ban discretionary air travel? In the country. So, in other words, should we ban a family, you know, in Chicago that wants to uh, get on a, uh, you know, an American flight and fly to uh, Orlando so they could take their kids to uh, Disney World? Sixty-five um, percent of these elites, by the way, these are mostly people who graduated from Ivy League schools. Sixty-five percent of them say, yes, we should ban discretionary air travel. Now, maybe oh, that's please. because they have their own private jets and they don't have to buy a commercial flight. But these these people are crazy. They're completely out of touch with America and and the kind of trials and tribulations that you know ordinary blue collar you know the kind of people listening to the show or driving to work are feeling every day. Well,
0: well it's a lot of it's a lot of ordinary uh, white collar too. Um white collar you, too. You just yeah, if you have the wrong uh, uh, if you have the wrong attitude and the wrong mindset, the wrong ph- uh, philosophy. Um, one of the things that uh, you recently uh, wrote about uh, in your Unleashed Prosperity newsletter was new banking regulations and in responses the uh, bank failures from a year ago and uh, how that will impact, as if uh, interest rates aren't already, the uh, small business uh, owner-entrepreneur.
17: So
7: this is, a, it is actually kind of a case study and how um, when the government – um, reacts to a crisis, they always, almost always do the wrong thing. And, of course, the the, the you know, the, the most famous example of that was the, the government reaction to COVID where almost everything governments did uh, from the city of Chicago to the state of Illinois to the federal government was absolutely the wrong thing to do with COVID. But uh, this is – remember – do you guys remember uh, – what was it last uh, – I think it was last spring when uh, Silicon Valley Bank um, failed? Remember that? And,
0: yeah. And, oh my god,
7: all the banks are going to fail and I think there were three there were a couple, two a couple of others that failed in part because of the interest rate changes that that really affected their their books. but um, they, they so what did the federal going oh my god, you know banks are failing So they said we have to have require these banks to have more reserves you know more capital reserves so they can withstand you know uh, you know a, a financial situation. Uh, except the problem was that Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic and the ones that failed were not undercapitalized. That wasn't their problem. They had other problems. They made a lot of bad loans and a lot of bad financial decisions. And so now they want to greatly expand how much money that a bank holds in reserve. Now, for people who are not too familiar with the banking system, what that means is if you have to hold more money in reserve, that means there's less money you you can lend out, right? And you know, bank lending is oxygen for the American economy. It's how small businesses get loans. It's how, you know, people get loans to their mortgages and things like that. And so what we found was this would completely shrink the uh, amount of loans that are available, which would mean higher interest rates, which would have a very negative effect on the economy. And so they're, they're solving – they're trying to solve a problem that doesn't really exist, and they're going to make the situation in the economy much worse. But that's that's brilliant people in Washington.
3: What is President Biden doing? I mean, we're thirty-five trillion in debt, and he's out there saying that he cut the deficit. <laughs> is anybody even in his own party I mean, it buying possible. that?
7: Yeah. yeah, he's the most fiscally responsible president I mean, we've ever had, even though the debt's gone up six trillion dollars in his three years in office. And and can I just say one other thing about that? that is, I just get so infuriated by this. So, did you guys catch this? How do we get any attention that he he put out a press release? Um, uh, on friday of last week saying that he is going to forgive another five billion dollars of student loan debt right. okay. now now i don't care how people feel i mean i think that's crazy but may, some people may support it in fact there was a poll in new Hampshire of de- democratic voters 80 percent of democratic voters uh support that policy of of, of you know uh, shaking down the taxpayers to pay for other people's student loans but whether you support the policy or not dan The Supreme Court has ruled on this, right? Right. The United States Supreme Court said, you do not have the unilateral authority, Joe Biden, to forgive people's debt. The Congress has also rejected this, so he's just going out and doing it. Well, he's trying to buy votes. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Can you imagine if if Donald Trump did this, just completely thwarted and ignored the Supreme Court instead of passing out money to people? He's a dictator. He's a tyrant. But I don't hear the press saying what about Joe
14: Biden.
0: Well, it's it's funny how uh, precedents work. We've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, the left should be a little bit more careful about the law. The precedents they set for lawlessness and, and justify the mean. Exactly. Uh, President Biden wants to uh, ignore the Supreme Court's opinion on student loan forgiveness, and Governor Abbott is down in Texas right now, ignoring for now the Supreme Court uh, uh, lifting the in, uh, injunction to allow Border Patrol to take down. The razor wire that he's erected his his uh, his guys are still putting together more razor wire to erect. So, you know, this is this is what happens when you have the ends justify the means philosophy and a lot on the left, um, as per usual, a la with border security, generally speaking, just to use one example, don't have any appreciation for that It's whatever by any means necessary for what I want in the moment with no consideration uh, as to what that unleashes.
7: So this is, a, you know, that, let me just talk for a minute about the, the issue, that Supreme Court decision on the border. Um, you know, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but it is pretty clear from the Constitution that the federal government has the authority over the border and, and immigration policy. Now, you may, we may disagree with that, but that basically is what the Constitution says. Now, uh what that means, you know, because, look, I think everybody's angry about uh, about what's going on. I think I mentioned last week on your show, you know, I have a couple of, uh, you know, liberal siblings who I love who live in the Chicago area. And they were infuriated that the Texas governor is sending the illegal immigrants to uh, to uh, the Chicagoland area. And I said, well, you guys you guys have been in favor of the sanctuary city, you know, policy. <laughs> what are you complaining about? But my point is, if you want the border to be secure, immigrants coming in every night, then there's only one solution. You have to get rid of Joe Biden. Because this crisis will continue to persist. He has done he's been in office for three years now. And not only is he not trying to control illegal immigration, he's literally taking the you know, the, he's they're chopping up the the, uh, the fences so that they can come in. I mean it's craziness at the border. But you've got to get rid of Biden if you want to if you want to solve that problem. And that's what the court basically said.
0: Steve Moore, Wall Street Journal, I mean, uh, well, used to be a Wall Street Journal columnist, uh, still a op-ed writer and economist and author of GovZilla. Steve, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Uh, all
7: right, guys. Have a great day. Take
1: care.
3: You too, and he joined us on our Answer line.
1: There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. <laughs> This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I believe that Republican voters were ready for a new post Trump chapter of the America First movement. I now believe I was wrong. Those are the words of our former colleague at AM 560, Steve Cortez, in a commentary he wrote over at realclearpolitics.com. Only Trump can save America. And uh, he joins us now for a little bit of postmortem on DeSantis, the candidate he was aligned with for much of the primary campaign, as well as uh, prospective analysis on what uh, Team Trump can do and should do going forward as we now are. In the, the general election phase of the campaign, whether Nikki Haley wants to admit it or not. Steve, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
6: Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy.
10: Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, let's do a little bit here. of the postmortem on, on DeSantis. Um, we have to do that because I think some of the postmortem has been both too charitable as well as too critical. So I'm I'm Goldilocks Uh-oh. here um, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the too charitable is like this. You know, DeSantis could have the, the campaign could have never predicted that Trump would be. Uh, This target of all these indictments. Well, that's not true. He he was indicted once before DeSantis announced and you could see the other indictments uh, in the offing. So, I mean, so so that's not true. Um, But some of the other criticisms that he was some sort of globalist plant and he's not uh, an America first or so on and so forth. And and he was just there to be an obstructionist, uh, I also think uh, is uh, untrue. So, so tell us what it, the DeSantis campaign and and supporters of the campaign what they conceived the race to be in the beginning. So, in the run up to his spring announcement last year, and what it turned out to be.
6: Sure. Um, and by the way, let me just you know preface it by saying that. Uh, I have nothing negative to say about Governor DeSantis. I think he is, by a mile, the best governor in America. Uh, And I'm very happy for Florida that they get their governor back uh, full time because he's incredible. And the things he's done, not just for that state, but for the country, um, are remarkable, frankly. As far as the the race, um, you know, here's what I think could have been done differently and much better that would have made a difference. Um, He did not respond to Donald Trump. Um, in, the, in the late 2022 uh, era, so so after the very disappointing midterm elections, right, when, when DeSantis was the outlier, when he was the, the really you know, amazing success story on what was otherwise a pretty dismal night, let's be honest, November of 2022, uh, there was an opening there where, uh, where Trump was vulnerable even among Republican voters. Uh, Trump went on attack against DeSantis relentlessly, and DeSantis did not respond. And I think in retrospect, um, that was a huge mistake. Uh, he simply could not allow that kind of negativity to build up day after day, with the platform that Trump has, uh, with the resources that he has, without responding. So I think that was that uh, wounded him critically politically going into the primary. Um, and then the second big mistake I think, and you know I say this as a media guy, right? I live in the world of of earned media, uh, doing what I'm doing right now, talking to you folks, for example. Um, Desantis really ignored the media, and I think to his peril. Yep. Early in the campaign, uh, he was very, very selective about the interviews he did. He only did very friendly interviews in the very early days um, and not frequently. I think that was, again, a massive mistake. I think
0: well, we, we, campaign,
6: we, you've got a blanket the airways.
0: So so we were both critical of uh, DeSantis for uh, going into hiding and, and allowing r- really Ramaswamy to, uh, to to seize that opening to be on the cable to be combative on the uh, antagonistic cable news channels. But, I mean, those two mistakes you're describing, one right after the midterms and then one as he got into the campaign, they speak to a conception of the race. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Like, what did, what did Team DeSantis think the race was going to be and their, their angle into it to be successful? Wow.
6: You know, we believed, and I, you know, I should speak for myself because I don't know that everyone on the team believed this, but I believed um, that electability was going to be a much bigger issue than it turned out to be in McKinley. And I was wrong, you know, quite frankly, on this, um, because I believed that when Republican voters looked at the race, they would say, in Ron DeSantis, we get Trump's policies, but without some of the baggage that comes with Donald Trump, uh, without some of the, uh, the distractions that come with a Trump candidacy. Um, once the indictments came down, the reaction of Republican voters, which is very understandable, right, because I think these indictments are absolute shams. I mean, they are they are persecutions of Donald Trump. So Republican voters rallied to Trump um, in a way with a fervor that I did not anticipate, um, and, and I think that completely diffused the electability argument um, so, because they, there was such a rally around Trump effect.
3: So when did you find out it was over?
6: Did DeSantis have you know,
3: a Zoom conference with all you guys? Did you get an email? What was it like?
0: Well, he was super
6: public. Right. So, and also, I left the team months ago, actually. So, I mean, I left in September. Now, I was quiet about it, which was my agreement with the DeSantis team. I said that I would not be public until the Iowa caucus. And so I, you know, kept my word. I did not talk about the race. So, people who follow my work closely will know on social media, my articles, my interviews. Um, I, you know, from roughly September until Iowa, I was just, I went quiet about this race. I talked a lot about politics, but just, you know, issues and other, other things. So, uh, for me, I knew it was over in the summer, um, in July and August. And the reason I said that is we were spending an enormous amount of money, tens of millions of dollars a month. Uh, the, the candidate governor was campaigning incredibly hard. He had an, just a, a tremendous work ethic. Like I've never seen in another politician campaigning. And yet our poll numbers were going down. So that tells me, look, when, when you're active activist can be campaigning, when you're spending a ton of money, and I think mostly spending it smartly, and yet your numbers are going down, well, that tells me this, it's not workable, right? It's just, it's not a winnable race. And so I determined that in the summer, advised Governor DeSantis to get out a very long time ago. Um, obviously didn't take my advice, you know, at that time, but I wanted to try to do everything I could to preserve his political viability going forward because he's 45 years old. He's a very young man with incredible talent. Again, he's by far the best governor in America. So to me the sooner he got out of an unwinnable race, the better for him and for his future. Uh, So I wish he'd done it earlier, but I'm glad that he has done it now, and I think it's the right thing to do.
0: So both uh, you and DeSantis are being treated in some circles as, you know, uh, a a, a, a faulties of trachis. I mean, you're being treated as like, you know, consorting with the enemy here. Um, And I I wonder, you know, from your own experience uh, uh, trying to, make some sort of rapprochement with Trump world. Um, you know, how that's going for you, number one, but then what that uh, tells you about the possibility for DeSantis going forward when, you know, he's got two years remaining on his, uh, well, he, he 26. So yeah, basically two years remaining on his last term as governor, and then it's an open question what he does after that. So for both of you.
6: Yeah, and by the way, it's too bad that the Sanders is term limited because I think it'd be amazing if he could continue as governor. But look, I think uh, for the for the broader question first, you know, outside of me, um, I think it's incredibly important for Republicans to un- to unify. And there's a lot of toxicity out there. There is our politics has become so tribal and so toxic uh, in a lot of ways um, that it's unfortunate that even with even among people who agree on practically every issue, um, if they disagree on the candidate, right, to represent those issues. Uh, there's there's a, a super high degree then of of stress and antagonism, uh, which I think is unfortunate. And I think, yeah, anybody who looks, listen, if you want to see some of it, go to my social media and go to the comments, right? Um, and a lot of MAGA world, even though I've come back to supporting President Trump very publicly, uh, a lot of MAGA world still hates me and believes that I'm some sort of traitor. I mean, that's, of course, ridiculous, right? And it's also not helpful because it's, it's just not practical in terms of, of winning going forward. And, Look, what I'm going to do is do everything I can uh, to make sure that that President Trump, who is the nominee, in my view, uh, that he wins in November because we are losing our country with amazing speed. Um, the velocity of what's going on just at the border, just take that massive issue alone um, is is beyond anything I think any of us could have feared when, when Joe Biden took office. I thought things would be bad, Dan. I didn't know they'd be this bad, honestly, and this quickly. Um, so winning is an absolute imperative. I'll do everything I can from the outside. Whether or not uh, President Trump wants me in his inner team again, I have no idea. Uh, I've not talked to him yet. I hope I do get a chance to speak with him. I have spoken with his senior leadership team. They're thrilled that I'm back on board. Um, they were very magnanimous about it and just said, hey, you know, we, we missed you. Welcome back. Um, now, not everybody's taking that, that uh, tack. unfortunately, although mm-hmm. I think they should.
9: Yeah, but never did
3: I think in a time like last night, President Trump had his former rivals on stage with him. So that shows, right. you know, a sign of maturity that he's willing to let bygones be bygones.
6: Yes, and I think this we're going to need that kind of discipline uh, and that kind of focus going forward. Uh, I also thought his Iowa victory speech was uh, incredibly magnanimous. I mean, it really was. I mean, he showed, I think, uh, you know, as you said, a maturity, a political maturity there um, that was significant and needed, um, and we're going to have to do that going forward. and so what you know, happens what
0: he, with what happens with DeSantis? So does DeSantis does do you do you know if DeSantis is making overtures or Trump's senior people are making overtures? Is there going to be, you know, a, a beer summit uh between the two? Right.
6: right. I don't know, uh, but I hope so. And uh uh, I've not gotten to spoke to Governor DeSantis either since he dropped out of the race, but again, I'm trying to, and uh, I hope that I get to speak to him soon, and I will certainly encourage him to do that because I think it's the right thing to do for the country, and I think it would also be politically helpful for him um, and, and help him rebuild his brand and his reputation among some of the primary voters who, again, I think unfairly castigated him, but regardless, like his negatives did rise dramatically, right? Like Trump's hits on him largely worked. I mean, those blows landed. Uh, now, I think he can fix that. He's a young man, and he's got an incredibly important job at, and at a platform to fix it. Um, but I think part of that will be campaigning vigorously for President Trump. So I hope and believe that it won't just be you know, that one line in, in his uh, exit uh, speech, that one line of I endorse him. I hope it will be much more active than that in terms of campaigning for President Trump, because I think he can be really, really powerful, and particularly with young people, by the way. He's a young man, and one thing he saw in Republican primaries is uh, – we saw this in our polling and then the actual voting in Iowa – uh, he did very well among young voters, so I think he's a he's a key representative for the Trump world to younger folks out there and, and can reach them.
0: What uh, if if you were back in Trump world formally and you had a chance to talk to the former president? What would you tell him he should be doing now at this stage where it's not formal? He's not formally the nominee, but he's all right. but formally the nominee, and he ne- needs to look prospectively at uh, the next. Uh, 10 months, both in terms of the legal and political and the combination of the two challenges. Right.
6: You know, Dan, I think the biggest risk um, to Trump, to his candidacy, to Republicans generally, is abortion on the ballot uh, this November. Look, we have seen in a number of referendums, even in incredibly conservative states like Ohio and Kansas, that the electorate is just not as pro life as I would like them to be. That's just the reality after 50 years of legal abortion in this country. And a culture of abortion. So what I would advise President Trump to do, and I think he's leaning this way, um, but I would advise him to to go the federalist route and just say, listen, we argued for decades correctly that Roe v. Wade was bad law and that this decision should reside in the states and that it should not be a federal issue. If he does that, I think he effectively... Uh, diffuses that issue for the presidential race and for anybody, frankly, running for federal office. Um, and if we say this is going to be up to the states and Illinois is going to end up, unfortunately, in a very different place than Alabama is going to end up. Um, and you know, while you know, we always regret the loss of any innocent human life, of course, um, it, it's anathema to us. I also recognize that we have a system of federalism that's supposed to work. So if I could advise President Trump to go that route, that is by far to me the biggest risk, the biggest impediment uh to a trump win in november is the abortion
0: issue yes is steve cortez uh, former uh, uh DeSantis super PAC consultant and uh of course former uh consultant and uh advocate for president trump as well a latino coalition uh latino voters coalition director in fact for trump in in 16 and 20 and uh hopefully uh be a material participant in 24 as well. Steve Cortez, he writes at stevecortez.substack. Steve, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank
3: you. I mean, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our Pro answer line.
0: This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are
1: choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Dan and Amy, you know, uh, one of those uh, governors – that might be interested in uh, replacing a Joe Biden, were that eventuality to come to pass, which I don't think it will. But we've talked a lot about Gavin Newsom. We talked yeah, a lot Pritzker. about a Pritzker, but don't forget the Eva Peron of East Lansing,
3: Gretchen Whitmer. Uh
0: huh. And um, get ready for this.
3: I know. Is this about a potato or something?
0: Gretchen Whitmer, uh, if you liked. Uh, Governor Quinn, and Squeezy the Pension Python. Oh,
3: that's right. You ain't
0: seen nothing yet with Gretchen Whitmer and Professor Potato.
3: (laughs) This is awesome.
0: (laughs) She's talking to a digital potato in this uh, marketing piece that uh, the brainchild of Whitmer world up there in Lansing. Gretchen Whitmer and Professor Professor Potato. Potato previewing a... Community college plan that she will be unveiling when she offers the state of the state address.
11: Hey, Governor Whitmer, oh how's it God. going?
2: Hi, Professor Potato. I wanted to share some Yukon Gold news with you, my best bud. What is it? We both agree that every Michigander deserves an opportunity to go to college without frying their bank account.
1: Absolutely. A higher education helps you learn more skills, pursue
11: your passions, and even plant your roots right here in Michigan.
2: But for too many, college is financially out of reach. That's why I'm so excited to announce an appealing plan.
16: Oh, I know what you're planning. This year,
11: we will work together to make the first two years of community college tuition-free for every high school graduate.
2: That's right, Professor. Michiganders will save an average of $4,000 as they earn their associate's degree, setting them up to earn a bachelor's or start working and earn a bigger paycheck.
0: Hey,
11: that isn't small potatoes. That's a big deal. Mm.
2: To learn more, make sure you tune in for my State of the State address on January 24th at 7 p.m.
11: I'll be there for sure. Later, tater.
2: Later, tater. I mean,
3: who in the world thought that that was a good idea and that potato is so creepy looking Uh,
0: um
3: this is why we go to university of iowa
0: the the politicians like uh, the eva perone of east lansing really respect you and they think you're smart you go on believing that
3: are you going to tweet that out because i don't want to (laughs)
0: It's. I mean, oh my it's, god!
3: It's it's moronic. I mean, it's it's creepy. First of all, it does. It's not funny at all. It's creepy, and it's she's like being condescending. She's being the Ava Perona of East Lansing.
0: To tweet that out, well, for to produce it, but then to be a party after the fact to tweeting that out is to create is to commit a hostile act against other people.
3: Okay, it's on her
1: Twitter.
0: This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
12: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM
1: 560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM 560,
0: The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Interesting choices public officials make when confronted about issues related to religious freedom, particularly these days when um, Christianity is seen as a legitimate target. Conservative Catholics are monitored by the FBI, or at least there's a desire to do so, as we know. This was the opening invocation before Awasha County, Nevada, Commission meeting, so Washaw County, Nevada's Reno. Uh, you know how it before uh governmental meetings you'll have an invocation and oftentimes they'll do a rotation, you'll right. have a, a priest, a rabbi, imam, um, so forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um this go around it was the Satanists' turn. Oh no. Take a listen.
4: Thank you for letting us here. My name is
7: Jason. I am an organizer and founder of Reno Satanic, and I am
4: here to give the invocation today. Let us begin. In nomine de nostris Satanis luciferi Excelsi, in the name of the eternal rebel
7: against tyrannical authority. May we seize this glorious day and its enchanting nights to celebrate the wonders of the natural world as we are all part of its boundless mysteries. And the spirit of the unconquerable sun, the bringer of light and knowledge, we say, Shemham Farash, hail
4: Satan.
11: Okay, Um, Madam Clerk, we will now move to public
0: well, no, the public comments. Gosh, I could only imagine what some of the public comments were. You watch this uh, invocation, you see some senior citizens in the audience smattering that would attend a county commission meeting, horrified They're, and bewildered as to what's going on oh. and what this guy is saying, not surprisingly. And
3: who's the d Satan? Like, oh my God, he had um, one b- supporter there.
0: <laughs> I believe uh, Governor Pritzker was um, auditing that commission meeting, thinking about maybe we should bring this guy from the Satanic Temple over to... The uh, Illinois General Assembly, um, they'd be welcome here. Um, so, sure. yeah. You know, uh, I think he performed at the World Economic Forum in Davos uh-huh. last week as well. A lot of uh, demand for representatives of the Satanic Temple, which, by the way, is uh, recognized by the IRS, 501 c 3 status as a, uh, as a religion. Um, and that brings us to uh, our next guest. What do we do about uh, individuals like this in the public square in terms of access? Uh, Michael Cassidy, uh, you may remember the name, before Christmas, there was a satanic temple display in the Capitol building in Iowa, in Des Moines, and um, he uh, couldn't abide that, so he took it down, and was arrested for doing so. Michael Cassie is a former Republican candidate for the Mississippi, Mississippi House of Representatives. He's a former Navy pilot as well, and he was arrested after uh again taking down that satanic display inside the Capitol in uh the capitol building in Des Moines, Iowa. Also, he uh subsequent to the arrest and the publicity, uh, he has a legal defense fund at Give, Send, Go that has raised uh some $85,000 so far to to help him the charges that uh, he has that have been leveled against him michael cassie thanks so much for joining us appreciate it
10: yes sir thanks for having me on
0: so um why did you feel the need to not let the satanic temple display stand
10: the so i saw the display you know a few days before i went up to iowa and i thought i thought it was a joke um i didn't I mean, kind of like I think a lot of Christians have a response to just like that uh, that prayer over in Nevada that we look at it and, oh, it's a joke. Like it can't – it's it's not a real thing. Like this isn't uh, actually happening in in our country, in the United States of America, but it is. Um, and so I, I, I bought a plane ticket, went up to Iowa, uh, wanted to – hopefully the thing was going to be gone by the time I got up there, but I got there – Uh, And was still there. Um, There weren't any uh, cops around or what weren't any Satanists around, no protesters and, uh, and the things like six, seven feet tall. And it just, it it was evil. And so I I didn't want to to let that thing stand. I thought about the conversation that I'd have uh, the day that I met Jesus and thought, you know, I don't want that conversation to go, Hey, I was too scared uh, to be a Christian in that moment. So, um, yeah, I took it down. And, so, what did you
3: do? And, did you use any a bat or anything, or just your hands? What did you? Do?
10: Yeah, so I, I saw some of the memes about you know like taking a sword and hacking the thing off. I didn't bring I didn't bring a sword with me. Uh, no, I, I just I took the the head off. It was this you know cheap fabric and like plastic and glass uh, goat head. Uh, I ripped it up. Uh, I, I pushed the 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 statue uh over um and and that was pretty much it it wasn't really wasn't all uh that much to it
0: and uh then you were subsequently arrested by uh des moines police right uh
10: well you know i i went and i turned myself in uh, oh you turned yourself in yeah yeah there's still nobody there it was kind of uh you know uh yeah, there, there there was there wasn't anybody there other than one I think Catholic uh, man who was uh, praying in Latin. And so yeah, once the security checkpoints threw myself in, they didn't really know what to do. Uh, so they called the state troopers over, and they uh, and they kept me there at the Capitol for about thirty minutes. But no, then they let me go. I never got arrested. They just gave me a citation, you know, like you would get for a speeding ticket or something like that. So there's no, I don't have a a mug shot or anything like that.
3: Right. Okay. Well, yeah, but don't you have to appear in court?
10: The so as of you know as of yesterday, they still uh, they've been. I'm not familiar with how long legal processes go. Uh, they still have not filed the the citation, um, so we don't have even a tentative court date. If gets to a court date, uh, we're expecting more information uh, this week about the matter. But as of right now, we. Uh, the states, um, you know, they're they're taking their time.
0: And uh, have you, has you, you, uh, or have you, or has your attorney heard from the Satanic Temple, representatives of?
10: Uh, (laughs) They, yeah, there's been, I mean, people associated with them have certainly had their share of uh, hate mail and, and threats and things of that nature. Um, They, uh, I'm not sure if they've what exactly they've filed with the state, um, or if they've had separate conversations with my attorneys. But um, yeah, they're not—you um, know—they're not the nicest people. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I mean, they're literal Satan. Well,
0: them, yeah, right. I got that, but I—yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, did they want you to pay for any damages
10: done?
0: Oh yeah, file civil action against you.
10: We have not received a, a civil action uh, in the matter. Now that may, that, that may change. Um, that's one of the things that we're, I, I think is going to be from what I understand from the lawyers, again, I'm not a liar, is that the civil, a civil suit would be, uh, after the, the criminal case gets resolved.
2: Mm-hmm. Now
3: why couldn't you control yourself? I mean, I know this sounds very uh, pedestrian, but you know, they have a right to free speech. I don't like it either, but they are American citizens. So what I mean I know you said that Jesus was calling you to go or just walk us through that again.
10: Uh, I wouldn't say that I was I was I was perfectly in control. Okay. Um, that the that there is no um, an example that, that I gave that perhaps um, I'll give now too that if there were if there were some fake religion. Um, like the IRS is not the arbiter of what uh, a true search for uh, for God, for religion is. And if, if there were a, uh, a, a, a IRS-derived religion that worshipped Osama bin Laden and they had put a statue to Osama bin Laden uh, and the Twin Towers inside a state capitol, I think that we would hope that our civil magistrates, that the legislature, that the governor, that they would have – the subjective sense, to understand we shouldn't put statues of Osama bin Laden inside a state capital. We shouldn't have public displays that, you know, give glory to that. Same thing with satanic icons, that our leaders are supposed to have the subjective understanding to know that a statue of the devil is wrong. And like one of the pieces of mail that I got, uh, or Facebook message I got, uh, from an Iowa father um, the, the, that evening or the next day, he was mad at me because he wanted to take his children up to the state capitol and show them that statue of the devil. And so uh-huh. that thing just being there, it has its own evil influence on kids. And that's something that, you know, it, we have to be able to, our leaders have to be able to stand up and say, no, we're not going to tolerate that.
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I certainly I agree uh, from a, a substantive point of view, but from a legal point of view, you know, um, uh, nobody—well, nobody except them and their sympathizers—nobody like the Ku Klux Klan marching through Skokie back in the day. Um, but um, but it's a it's a public right to uh, protest and seek uh, redress. You know, lodge grievances, seek redress from your government. You know, on public property, you certainly, I mean, you're a Navy pilot, you're a smart guy. You understand that you have uh, access to public property in, a, in an equal way such that there's no government favoritism to one particular faith versus another, as noxious as the faith of the Satanists might be. And so, you know, I mean, the, the, the flip side is to, to, number one, you have case law that I think goes against what you did supreme court case law and a proper understanding of the first amendment even though i'm sympathetic to your viewpoint on the matter and number two you know the flip side is when you see something that obnoxious that hate-filled that evil um like the clan marching through skokie it's also an opportunity to teach young people about the uh, foundations of a free society and about what's right and wrong and that we can't rely on the government to tell us what's right and wrong, we have to uh, be able to um, discern it for ourselves, be able to articulate it and do so freely in a pluralistic society where people are going to disagree. I mean, there's that you know aspect of it too that's fundamental.
10: On every um, military base, at least every Navy base, we have they built a chapel every day when we're on the ship, we have a daily prayer mm-hmm. nightly prayer, prayer excuse me there the idea that a government can have absolutely zero just closes its eyes and give sanctions to whatever calls itself religion that idea is brand new in the thousands of years of western jurisprudence and that the uh, that there is a massive difference between having a national religion where everybody adheres to a particular denomination of religion. There's a massive difference between that, which is what our founders wanted and the idea that our leaders would be guided by Christian values, which is precisely what was the intent of the founders of our country. And so they would never, I don't think anybody could make, an argument that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and James Madison and Benjamin Franklin would have said, you know what, it's a blessing of liberty to put satanic altars inside government buildings. Do you think that they would – you think that they would think that that's what the First Amendment was about?
0: Um. Yeah, actually, un- unfortunately, I think that they would. And I think that the interpretations, the case law on this is pretty clear. And, yeah, there are time, place, manner restrictions. But, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think I, I, I agree with you, as you know, um, in terms of the philosophy and the perspective and the evil of this display and the wrongheadedness, pun intended, of these Satanists. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, these are uh, obnoxious people is why we have the restraints on government we have. Because if you start being the arbiter of what is obnoxious and what is not, then you're ceding that sovereignty to the government. And that's even more dangerous than a satanic display inside the Capitol in Des Moines, in my view. But I appreciate uh, your coming on the show. I appreciate your perspective and your service to the country. On top of that, Michael Cassidy, former Republican candidate for the Mississippi Mississippi House of Representatives, Navy pilot um, who was the individual at the center of that satanic display controversy in Des Moines that you heard about before Christmas. Thanks uh, for your time, Michael Cassie. And again, he's got a Give, Send, Go uh, page up uh, if you want to support his legal defense to the extent he needs to mount one. We'll, we'll see, I guess. Michael Cassie, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
10: Thank you. Y'all have a good morning out there.
3: Thank you. And he joined us on our Answer line.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
12: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM 560, The Answer.